Hey there, you're listening to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. If you'd like to find out more information, you can go to campusbiblestudy.org. Proverbs 5, 1-6 My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Proverbs 9 Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and whoever approves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Imagine you are looking through the lattice, and here's a picture of the lattice up there. From the inside, looking to the outside, people on the outside can't see anything of what you are doing on the inside. But you're looking out onto the world. And as you look out, your dad is next to you and giving you some cautionary tale, a warning, some advice. There's over there through the glass a dodgy meeting. A man going to meet a dodgy woman. I'm sorry it's a dodgy woman, but uh, it's father to son advice, so it has to be a dodgy woman. I'm sure there's uh, dodgy men in the world, like the Wickhams of this world, Pride and Prejudice. But I'm sure you ladies can do the translation. Well, chapter 7, verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice. And I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man, lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. It's getting dim. He's going into danger zone. Verse 10. And behold, the woman meets him. Dressed as a prostitute, a willy of heart, very cunning. She's loud and wayward, very proud. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, 
Now at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I paid my vows and I'd done all my church bit. And now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. Very flattering, isn't it? You, know, you are the one. I've spread my couch with coverings, coloured my linens with Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us fill our love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. The love, the enjoyment, the long night we'll have. And don't worry, we won't get caught. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of golf clubs and money with him and he won't be back. We won't get caught. It's more seductive than porn, isn't it? Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. And her smooth talk, she compels him. This woman, this adulteress, is bad news. If we look at verse 22, as soon as he follows her, he's like an ox that goes to the slaughter. Verse 23, like a bird that's caught in a trap, it's going to cost him his life. Verse 27, you go into her house, and her house is just the chambers of death. This seductress we've been introduced to in chapter 2, chapter 1 to 4, was the art of two paths, remember? The father giving the son, go down this route, not that route. But now in chapter 5 to 7, it's not so much two paths, but two women. The women, Madame Folly, I'll call her, is introduced as in our reading in chapter 5 and verse 1 to 6. She's the one who in verse 3, 5 verse 3, drips the honey, drips the smooth speech that we just heard in chapter 7. She's the one who will lead us to shame, chapter 5 and verse 14. I'm at the brink of utter ruin, says the man, in the assembled congregation. Even my friends, even my brothers and sisters, uh, they, they pity me, they, they look down on me, the shame that's there. And then, if you go to the adulteress, chapter 6, picks it up again in verse 20 onwards, and then verse 32, 632, <laughs> he who commits adultery lacks sense. Yeah, just stupid. He who uh, does it destroys himself. He'll get wounds and dishonor, verse 33, disgrace. I had a friend whose wife actually committed adultery. And my friend found out who it was, found the man, and basically landed him into hospital. Wounds and blows you will get. I call her Madame Folly because she's the adulteress, but an adulteress who symbolizes not, not sex. I mean, sex is good with, between husband and wife, as you uh, see uh, earlier in chapter 5, verse 15 to 19. But it's sexual immorality. But this Madame Folly is more than just sexual immorality. For by the time you get to chapter 9, that was read for us, chapter 9, you get this face-off between the woman who is Lady Wisdom in 9, 1 to 6, and then the woman who is Madame Folly. I'll pick it up for you in chapter 9 and verse 13, 9, 13. The woman Folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, 
stolen water is sweet and bread taken and eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the deaths of Sheol. You've got this face-off between the two women, but the Madame Folly is not just sexual morality. It actually represents all of foolishness, all of folly that tempts us away from God. It's symbolic. A little while ago, I found a newspaper article uh, from the Singapore Times and written by a non-Christian, but it's as though this man has actually read chapter 7, which we just read out in terms of you know, the seductress saying, oh, I found you, come along. Listen to what he says. It's a conversation here between the object of desire, you know, the thing you really want, you know, your iPhone 10 or whatever, your Prada handbag, and the shopper. Object of desire, calling across the crowded sales floor. Over here, over here. Shopper, crossing the crowded sales floor, unable to believe the beauty of the object of desire. I didn't think you'd be for sale. Object of desire, I knew you would come, and now that we've found each other, we must never be parted. Shopper, oh, you're lovely, but I, I don't really need you. Ah, that's why you desire me so much. No, no, I can leave. I, uh, object of desire. Look, now that we've seen each other, you know that your life will be incomplete without me. If you don't buy me today, you regret it for the rest of your life. No, no, I can't walk away. If you walk away, someone else may buy me. You miss your chance. Today I'm a bargain. Oh, I can't afford it. Suddenly the object of desire calls out to other passerbys. Over here, over here, I'm over here. Shopper, shh, someone will hear you. Object of desire, you see, you do care for me. Don't fight it. We're meant to be together. Now at 40% off, you cannot resist me. <laughs> so who's Madame Folly? Well, it's the Great Singapore Sale. It's our July sales. It's our, our desire for things, our greed, our love of money, our love of things that will take us away from God. As we look through the lattice and we see the world out there, we see if you go down that way of Madame Folly, then there'll be awful consequences. But looking through the lattice is also a way in which we can see, well, that's what we're trying to do in the book of Proverbs. For in Proverbs... We're actually looking out at the world, observing, learning the world. Not just the people who are coming in adultery, but all kinds of things that happen in our world. Consequences. People make bad choices, follow folly, and then there is evil that follows. But some people may ask, well, is it really that bad? Surely foolishness, you know, a bit of folly, doesn't really matter, does it? Well, some people say, from last week, it seemed like Proverbs is promising too much. You know, it seems like, you know, if you do bad things, then certainly bad things will happen to you. But isn't that a bit idealistic? You know, sometimes crime does seem to pay, doesn't it? And there are some people who seem to just get away with it. Now, Kim Jong-un, he's enjoying life in luxury as he uh, basically leaves the rest of his country starving. Does Proverbs promise too much? Do we need an Ecclesiastes or a Job to sort of balance off the idealism of Proverbs? Well, let's have a look then at point two, wisdom from creation, and then point three, wisdom from beyond creation, 
before we come back to those two questions. Wisdom from creation. We are looking through the lattice, looking at the world. And we can look at the world and learn from this creation because Lady Wisdom, the other woman, also calls out. Come with me to chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Wisdom calls out. On the heights beside the way, verse 2, a crossroads, as she's calling out to passerbys. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. Chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And then she gives her CV. Look down to verse 22. The Lord processed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no deaths and I was brought forth before the mountains, verse five, uh, 25. Uh, verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there. In other words, God made our world through Lady Wisdom, through his wisdom. It's an allusion back to Genesis chapter 1, isn't it? Uh, you see in verse 27, there was the deep. You see in uh, verse 28, 29, um, 28, 29, the skies were set up. Remember, God separated the water above, the water below. And with the water below, he put boundaries around the sea, as you see in uh, verse 29 uh, there. And then God made people. And so verse uh, 30, uh, 31, there was the inhabited world, the children of men, the, the creation of mankind, which is the apex of creation. And in all that, there was much rejoicing, you see, in verse 31. God said it was good. It was very good. In other words, Lady Wisdom, verse 30, was right there with God when our world was made. Verse 30, I was beside him, beside God, like a master workman. God created the world through Lady Wisdom, and that is why this world actually is orderly. It makes sense. Uh, that, that aspect of the intelligent design argument actually is true. I did a science-based degree, and you look at the world, you look at the human body, you look at, some of you watch David Enbrough, you know, all the way in which, you know, the fishes and the, the sky, the, the, uh, the water cycle. It's amazing. It's all orderly. God has made this world through his wisdom. They are the laws of nature, which makes everything fit together. But more than that, his wisdom is hardwired into this world. Such that there's the, the very laws of wisdom is there in our creation. There's rhyme and reason. Uh, that's why you do certain things and certain results will happen again and again. Because you can repeat things. This is our world is an orderly universe. And since that's the case, we can then gain wisdom from this world. That's why you can even look at one small part of God's creation, like the ant, famously. Go back to chapter 6, chapter 6 and verse 6. Go to the kitchen, go to the ant, and you'll see, well, he's just, the ants are very busy, aren't they? Going for the breadcrumbs across the table. Chapter 6, verse 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, be wise. She doesn't have a chief, no ruler. But verse 8, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food. It's a warning against being slack, being a sluggard. A little sleep, verse 10, a little slumber and poverty will come upon you. Do not be the one 
who is slack, but be diligent, learn from the ant. You see, that's orderliness of this creation. Do this, this consequences. Do that, you have that consequence. And therefore, one way to summarize this uh, learning from creation as we look out into the world is this next slide. We are humanity, we see things, we experience things in the world, we look at creation and what's happening there, what people are doing with each other, how they relate to each other, the, the creation, even the ant, and then you get wisdom, for wisdom is hardwired into our very creation. That's why you do not need to be Christian to get this bits of wisdom that will help you for life. You don't even have to believe in the existence of God. Uh, here are two people who don't believe in God. Uh, first one is Confucius. He's got wisdom, he said. A man who stands on a hill with his mouth open will wait a long time for a roast duck to drop in. Another wise man uh, closer to home, Steve said, if you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader. Sell ice cream. Wisdom, isn't it? Right? If you're going to be a leader, you've got to expect that people are going to hate you. you know? Wisdom for life. Uh, I learned that um, a stitch in time saves nine. Right? In other words, back up your assignments. Uh, I learned that uh, from sport, there are lots of things you can learn about life from sport. You know, no pain, no gain, which also affects your studies, doesn't it? Solomon in writing Proverbs, yes, he wrote quite a few of his own, but what he also did was adopted Proverbs from outside, from other cultures, uh, one from Agur, one from uh, some Lemuel's, uh, King Lemuel's mother, outside Israel, and he put it into Proverbs. You see, non-Christians can have wisdom, for wisdom is hardwired into our world. But there's a difference, there's a distinctiveness, point 2c, once it's put into Proverbs, see if you can find the distinctiveness. I'll give you 30 seconds just so that you think that Karl Mata is talking. Coming up on the screen, here is Amenenope, right, which is an ancient Near East kind of a wisdom about uh, just before Solomon's time. Compare that and compare Proverbs. What do you see? Lots of similarities, lots of little differences, but what is the key difference once you get into Proverbs? You've got 15 seconds now. What, what's the key difference? You see there, it's the fear of the Lord. Right? Once it comes into Proverbs, you do it for the fear of the Lord. It's the very motivation. And that shouldn't surprise us because, next slide. Remember Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 and 9, verse 10, bracketing this whole introduction, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. And so Solomon can adopt things in, but once it's inside Proverbs, inside the framework of Proverbs, then we are looking at something, look, still looking at the world, but through something quite different, through a different lens. Here's the picture of the lattice again. It's as though, right, you've got the framework of chapters 1 to 9, there's the, the window frame, but you look through a glass, a window, a lens, and the lens now is actually coloured and it actually helps you see things slightly differently. And so the, uh, um, the next slide, um, 
we are humanity, we still see and experience the world looking, but now looking through this uh, lattice, this, this lens, this window, which is actually God the creator and God the one who reveals himself in Proverbs. That is, once it's in Proverbs, even if it's outside pagan sayings, it takes on a different shape. You've got a lot more clarity of what God is saying, what you're meant to be learning, and you've got a lot more certainty that this actually is wisdom, because God now has said it. Now, even the ant, you see, so you can learn lots of things from looking at the ant. You could learn that you should go around taking other people's food when they're not looking. You could learn that. But once it's in Proverbs, you know, no, no, that's not the thing to learn, right? You're not meant to learn to be diligent. See, Proverbs helps you to understand with clarity and then certainty. And more than that, because it is in God the Creator who's now revealed it and it's in the author of uh, Proverbs, you know it comes from this one author, God himself. And if it's the fear of the Lord that drives it, it should be consistent with who he is, his character. And so there are lots of things then that should risk, uh, shape uh, how you look at Proverbs. Uh, you don't just take one of the little uh, riddles, in chapter 10 to 31, lots of riddles. You don't just take one of those riddles and think, ah, this is all that the Bible has to say, all that Proverbs has to say about that area of life. No, no, it's just one riddle, widow, riddle with... With one snapshot, it's one slice of life. It's just one thing that says about that topic. Uh, for example, uh, should Christians uh, bribe or take bribes? Well, here's a proverb in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 8. It seems like, yes, a bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. If you only got that, you think, oh, let's just give bribes everywhere, right? You're trying to get your peas. You know, you go to there and you slip a bit of a $100 note underneath and voila. Uh, my Malaysian friends, uh, one guy, he actually thought he was just paying for the test, paid the money, and then the guy said, okay, you don't have to do the test now. Now, <laughs> bribery seems to work. You get what you want. But then look at the next verse there, chapter 17, verse 23. The wicked accept a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. See, there's more that Proverbs itself says about bribery, and you've got to take one and put it with the other, not just take one in itself. And my missionary friends tell me, uh, those who come from South America where there's a lot of corruption, they say, well, sometimes you just, you know, you get nothing done in life unless you, you, you're sort of forced to give a bribe, but you should never take a bribe. You should never, in order to uh, line your own pockets, demand a bribe. Now, sometimes a bribe's a bit like, a, you know, you have to pay a ransom sort of thing. Anyway... The point is, look at all the different Proverbs, put them together because there's one author and you expect there's a consistency in it all. You might ask, well, how come as I read through chapter 10 to 31, all the little Proverbs, how come they're not all grouped together? Why isn't there a chapter on bribery and money, another chapter on marriage, another chapter on how to raise children, another on work? On no, they're not like that. They're scattered everywhere. Why? Well, it could be that Solomon didn't put it together with enough time, uh, you know, getting close to the deadline at uh, five to five and he had to, you know, send it in. Uh, no, it's more likely he did it deliberately. But why? It's because life is like that. Life is a scattered of different kinds of decisions you have to make. 
when you woke up this morning, you have to decide this or that, how to relate to the train uh, conductor, how to, you know, you go for a meet a friend, you, all kinds of things in life. You just got to work out when do I do what, what is the wise thing to do, how do I avoid the foolish thing. But also, it's all like that, jumbled up, because in the end, the whole of life is, is interconnected. Um, you're trying to find out, you know, what does this uh, chapter 10 to 31 say about marriage? You read through and you find one on marriage and then you've got to read through all these other things before you get back to another one on marriage. It's like going to a department store. When I was little, I, w I was going to go to the toy department. That's always up on the fourth floor. I have to go through the first ground for all the smelly perfume stuff and all through the women's you know, dresses. And then finally you get, and you know the way they do the escalators? You always have to go up here and you walk all the way around, you know, to, because the department store is trying to force you to see everything else that's there. That's what Proverbs is trying to do. You want to just find one thing? or well, you can't. You, there's lots of other bits of life that is, it's all connected together. Uh, when I did go shopping recently um, with my wife, you know, pushing the, through the supermarket, I got all the food and I always wanted to be nice and quick and efficient, so I'm, you know, racing for the checkout. You know, race down and sort of cut in on a, an old lady, that kind of thing. <laughs> and my wife would say to me, that is so unchristian. You know, and you're preaching at CBS and things like that. You know, that's... Mm, I, I grumble in my uh, scoff. And I say, oh, well, you can go sh shopping yourself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but she's right, right. All of life, how you do your shopping, how you drive, how... All of life is about wisdom, is about how we relate ultimately to God. Proverbs gives us that framework and it is the instruction of the creator. You don't throw it away, but if you fear the Lord, then you actually meet him and he tells you. And who better to tell you how to live life than the creator? Now, a lot of people, point three then, point three, wisdom from now beyond creation. A lot of people think that looking as humans... Through God the Creator, looking at creation, that's what all, and that's all Proverbs is about. And so this slide again coming up on the screen, right? It is us as humans seeing creation through God the Creator. And some people think, that's why Proverbs is so good, right? Because you know, any non-Christian can come and read it and they don't have to know the history of Israel and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's very relevant. They even say sometimes that there's no hint of salvation history that God rescues his people but I want to say that's actually mistaken and it actually means we miss out on quite a bit because the key of wisdom is the fear of the Lord but notice it's the fear of the Lord capital L-O-R-D not just the fear of G-O-D God you see who is the Lord the Lord next slide actually is Y-H-W-H. I pronounce it Yahweh. But no one knows how to pronounce it because the Jews, they only wrote it down. They themselves never pronounced it because they didn't want to take God's name in vain, you see. It's like in Harry Potter, you know, he who must not be named, as you see on the slide right now. You know, you'd never say his name, do you? Well, God is like that. But who is this? this no, not, not quite, right? But the, you, you don't say his name. But what do you do? Who is... Who is Yahweh? Well, go back to Exodus chapter 3, coming up on the screen. Burning bush, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Very famous verse. 
But if you look at the footnote, it could actually be translated, I will be who I will be, say to the people of Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. Chapter 6, next slide. I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, and I will... Ah, this is what's important. He's just said, my name is I will be who I will be. Well, what's God about to do that shows his very character, his very name? I will bring you out from the burden of the Egyptians, deliver you from slavery. <laughs> He's the one who's going to rescue them out of Egypt and take them to the promised land, you see, to the land that God had promised to Abraham. And that, that's the very name. The fear of Yahweh, that in itself imprints the whole of Proverbs with salvation history. You're meant to remember that he's not just God the creator, he's God who rescued our nation, our people, me, out of Egypt, out of slavery, took me to the promised land. Mm -hmm. This is the God that's telling me how to live as I look at the world. And so, not only the fear of Yahweh, but chapter 1, verse 1, right? The Proverbs of Solomon, the king of Israel, right? Israel's right there. Ask me later, but I got hold of verses here where there's mention of first fruits, rejection from the land, the law of Moses, ancient boundaries and markers, and how you shouldn't move that, and the sacrificial system. It's actually scattered all around Proverbs. And so the next slide is a better way of actually looking at Proverbs. It is looking at God's saved people as we see and experience creation. Look at it but through the lens, through the lattice, the glass of Yahweh, the Saviour. That is how we get wisdom. God has saved me in this fallen world. He's our Saviour. He's our Father who saved us. But more than that, beyond Proverbs, because really Jesus is the one who fulfills Proverbs. Jesus said as much. He says the law, the writings, and the, the law, the prophets, and the writings, including Proverbs, all points to me. It's all about me. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, came up on the screen. Well, you want to uh, have wisdom? Well, great. Because you, you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Jesus, just as a little boy, he increased in wisdom, in stature at 12 years old, in favor with. God and man, echoing, fulfilling Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4. Or Proverbs 1, verse 1. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Very wise man, wrote all this. Jesus, remember, says in Luke chapter uh, 11, the queen of the south came to hear Solomon, but now something even greater than Solomon is here, referring to himself. Uh, in the teaching of Jesus, his teaching is, is wisdom in style. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, right? It's generally what will happen. Seek God first and even the things of this life God will provide you with. The kingdom of God is what's worthy, what's valuable. Remember Proverbs chapter uh, 2 coming up on the screen. If you seek for wisdom like silver, for hidden treasures, then you will find the fear of the Lord. Matthew 13. The kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. You sell everything because it's so valuable. Again, echoing the book of Proverbs. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us 
wisdom from God. In what way? In terms of righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That is, Jesus fulfills that all that is the wisdom of God, especially in terms of how to get to God, to get to heaven. It's righteousness. You want to get right with God? Jesus. He died for our sins. You want to have uh, sanctification, be holy, so that the holy God would accept you even though you're sinful? Jesus is the wise answer to that. How? Because he redeems us. It's, it's the Yahweh. It's a rescue from slavery, not Egypt. Rescue paid by his price, saved for freedom in him. That is, friends, if you are a Christian, even the youngest of Christians, you are wiser than Confucius. You are wiser than Steve Jobs. For you have made the one decision that in an eternity will mean you are with God rather than away from him in the other place. That is the one wisest decision you'll ever make. Because Jesus, the one you trust, is God's wisdom. And then the final reference point for judging wisdom is actually the final judgment day. And so you see in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 1 and verse 27, 127, remember there was a proverb about if you follow folly and you neglect God's wisdom, then terror will strike you like a storm, like a whirlwind. Matthew chapter 27 on the screen, remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the one who actually is the, the foolish man, the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Well, when the storm, the final judgment of God comes, the flood comes, then great what it's for. Right? Sometimes in wisdom, you can't work out, you know, if you do something silly and stupid and sinful and it seems to work for a little while, but it all depends on when you judge it, when you assess it. You wait a bit longer and sometimes even in this life you see it's foolish. But definitely when you wait till the judgment day, it will be seen as foolish. And so go back a slide, thanks. The way to see wisdom in Proverbs is, is as God saved people, as Christian people, seeing, experiencing this fallen world, but looking at it through the eyes of God, Lord, Yahweh, our Saviour, namely Jesus himself. That is how we get wisdom. You've got to read Proverbs through the Jesus in the New Testament. So that helps us understand and answer these two questions as promise. This Proverbs promises too much. From last week, there's a questioner from one of you, and uh, it was a very good question. Here it is, I actually uh, typed it up for you. Regarding Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33, uh, i.e., the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous, how does that fit into the brokenness of the world, since the righteous cannot guarantee the receipt of blessings? Or is it the eternal perspective implied? But then it's just in the Old Testament. Help. Very, very good question. There are the Kim Jong-ils of the world. They, you know, sometimes crime does seem to pay. Proverbs does say, generally, that if you're greedy for unjust gain, you will suffer for it. Uh, next slide, Proverbs 15, verse 27, says just that. Generally, that is true. You just watch the news and, you know, you do silly things and you cheat on the, the tax man and you do embezzlement, you get caught. You are in a tamper with a cricket ball, you get caught. But it doesn't always happen that you get caught. 
But look at Proverbs 11, verse 16. There's more to life, to success, than just money. See, a gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. Or Proverbs chapter 15. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox where, with hatred. This is the engineer's verse. Right? This verse only works if a big meat pie is better than some veggies. Even if you have to eat a tiny little bit of vegetables, but if you do it in a household where people love you, that's far better than having a great big feast but people around who hate you. See, there's more to life than just how much you can earn, how much you can enjoy, and the riches you can have. And so Proverbs generally is true, and even when you are righteous and you suffer for it and you're not wealthy, Proverbs takes note of that. It says there's something even more. And definitely by judgment day, it will all come out in the wash. That's not exactly one of his Proverbs, but you know what I mean. Now, is it okay then to be foolish? That was our other question. Some people think, well, you know, folly, is it really that, that, that bad? I grew up uh, with thinking about guidance and wisdom this way. I grew up thinking there are three levels, categories of guidance. There's the right-wrong decisions, and then, next, next slide, there's the right-wrong decisions, then there's this wise, foolish decisions, and then lastly, there's things that don't really matter. In the course of the last couple of 20 years or so, I've had quite a few people come to me and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to go out with a non-Christian. That's not wrong, is it? It's not sinful. I mean, there's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not go out with a non-Christian. It's just a, a foolish thing, isn't it? Well, friends, yes, it is foolish, for it leads you in the slippery slide to then, you know, when are you going to say no to, to him? You know, when he proposes? Uh, you know, he's going one way to heaven and she's or he's going the other way. It is foolish. But more than that, the person's just trying to be a Pharisee. You know, it's only a foolish thing, not a right-wrong thing. But I think actually Proverbs drives us to see that the right-wrong decisions and the foolish, wise, foolish decisions are really all merged together. So next slide, a better way I think to see guidance is Every decision is wise or foolish. They are the gospel decision. Are you going to accept or reject Jesus? Heaven and hell kind of wise or foolish. But the right-wrong decisions is also the wise, foolish decisions. You know, all through Proverbs 1 to 9, right? What's foolish is also sinful. What's wise is also godly. It's just all the same. Uh, it's interesting, in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus says, now the, it's, it's the, um, the, the uncleanness that comes out of your mouth, right? That makes you unclean. The sin... And it includes, at the very last bit, foolishness. Right? That's part of the sin, Mark chapter 7. Now, there are little W-wise and little F-foolish things, like you know, it's a freezing cold day and just go out in a, in a T-shirt. Right? That, that's silly. Uh, there are matters of indifference, and what colour shirt you wear doesn't really matter. But even that, even that is a wise, foolish decision, in that you don't turn up to a funeral wearing red, do you? Right? There's a sense in which 1 Corinthians 10, you don't offend people, you, you try to be all things to all men. All of life is about wisdom and folly. And what God wants us to do in Proverbs and teaches us, chase wisdom. 
Stay far from folly. That is the way you trust, not your creator God only, but your saviour God. Well then, let's finish on point four. Let's finish with this challenge in chapters one to nine, where there's the face-off between these women, where Lady Wisdom is there in chapter nine, verse one to six, she, she built her house. She's very rich. She has, has a house of seven pillars. And she actually uh, has set her table. She's very generous. You know, there's good wine. There's lots of food. And she calls out. She's so rich. There's maidens who go everywhere to call out. Whoever's simple, verse 4, come in here. Turn from your simple ways. Come eat my bread. Walk in the way of insight. Proverbs 31 or so, remember? Uh, the good wife, remember the excellent wife who can find? She is amazing. She does everything, doesn't she? Except for sleep. And she's so amazing because ultimately, chapter 31, verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You see? That is, she is a woman, you know, who some of you may find or some of you may not find. I found her, but you know, you may not. An excellent, but she's also representative of lady wisdom herself and so this whole book of Rob proverbs ends off with this lady wisdom just as here in chapter 9 the introduction ends off with her but then there's also the other woman the one who in verse 13 to 18 of chapter 9 is madam folly verse 17 stolen water is sweet it's stolen it's a bit naughty it's done in secret it's very enticing, as folly is, as greed is. There's lots of things in life that will entice us away. My Singaporean friends, uh, they um, live life for five C's, the very famous five C's coming up on the screen. Cash, career, card, condominium, country club. Cars are three times, three, four times expensive as they are here. That's why they love their cars so much. And uh, they have a country club. They put the country club sticker on the car windscreen. In fact, the more country clubs you belong to, the more stick they on the windscreen. It's amazing they can see through the windscreen. But they, they live life for that. that. That is Madame Folly. We in Australia, we have what I call the five S's coming up on the screen. Our standard of living, our sport. I didn't want to put an S in, in front of experiences. Uh, our, our success and, of course, our suburban home. That's our aim. That's our dream in life. And that also, in the end, is Madame Folly, is it not? If people love it and say, that's what I must have in life. We can be sitting here in CBS as the person who followed me up when I was a little kid. He was here in CBS doing law, but now, 20, 30 years later, he's nowhere near Jesus. He followed, chased his career, married a non-Christian, and when I last met him, did not really want to talk about CBS at all. We can be enticed away bit by bit. And so there is our choice, Lady Wisdom or Madam Folly. Friends, you may not yet call yourself a Christian. Why not start with you know, even chapter 10, you know, read one chapter, or even one of the couplets, you know, the, the riddles, and say, oh, I wonder what this means, try to think about it. How does it work in life? Does it work in life? And you'll find, next slide, hopefully that as you try to get a bit of wisdom, that you can see hey, it is wise. And then come back to chapter 1 to 9 and look at the framework here. You know, it, that thing works in life because ultimately God is the one who created the world. He saved us in Jesus. Hopefully you actually come to the fear of the Lord. And then keep going around and around. 
But you may be someone who is a Christian and you're growing in your wisdom. That's great. But there are things, aren't there, where we hold on to folly, where it's actually hard to let go of folly. We think we might miss out. We fear that, you know, if I actually change my life there, what will my parents think? What will my friends think? You need to go to Proverbs. Actually, you need to go down to Questacon down in Canberra. It's a, have you been to Questacon? It's a great sort of a science museum for uh, high school people. Ground floor, go in, there's a big slippery dip. Three stories high, six metre drop, and you just slide, and it goes like that. And you get in a little suit to make you slide. Well, oh, I, I saw, I thought oh, that'd be fun. Oh, no, that won't be fun. Well, oh, that looks really scary. It's meant to test your fright and flight to response, you see. But I saw all these kids, they, they seemed to be having fun. And so I thought I'd go up, got dressed up, walked up, and there's a sign that says, if you have heart problems, go back. Uh, <laughs> keep going up, climb up this three-storey thing. I thought, oh, maybe I should go back. I don't want to do this, but then my wife is videoing. And so <laughs> I, I get onto this, at the end, there's a pole, and there's a guy there with a cloth just wiping the pole, because everyone's so sweaty, when not they? So you hold onto this pole, right, at the top of this thing, and you're meant to let go. And I tell you, when I let go, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> but you know what? I'm still here, right? Let's see. <laughs> You go down and it was all right. It was all right. Friends, that's what a trusting God is. You let go of folly. Don't worry about Madam Folly. And it's okay. God's wisdom ultimately works out. And the more you do that, the more you end up trusting that God is someone that can be trusted. Will you choose to trust him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom in Proverbs. Please help us to have the time to read through chapters 10 to 31 in the light of this introduction that we might grow in wisdom and fear you. And as we fear you, to be those who actually get wisdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.